coming up on Ibogaine Uncovered. You have to let the medicine do its job and you got to let that person do their job as well. And so surrender is 100% part of it. It's hard when you're directly affected by it, obviously. You're in direct contact with that loved one or yourself all the time, right? And you can get discouraged. You can get disappointed. You can get all those things. Those things are okay too. Those things are real. Those are real feelings. Those are things that you can't exclude from the journey. And I think a lot of times you want, like I said, the happy ending. You want the result to be immediate, but it's going to be a journey. And so if you surrender to that idea and know that it is going to be a journey, then, you know, the small incremental wins that you see daily, minute by minute, in their word choice, and they're coming back and working out and being involved and trying to better themselves. Those are wins. And so you just you have to shift the mentality of this, what you said earlier, this magic bullet, this magic potion to come in and save the day. But really, the magic potion has already started and already worked, but the person still has to take those steps and apply it to their lives. My name is Amanda Siebert, and you're listening to I Begin Uncovered the podcast that explores the impact of one of the most powerful psychedelic medicines on the planet. Can Ibogaine really get to the root of our trauma? Join me as I ask practitioners, patients, researchers, and specialists about their experiences. Hello, and welcome to Root Medicine. I'm your host, Amanda Siebert. And in this latest episode... I interview Kerry Rhodes about his recent experience supporting a loved one through Ibogaine treatment. Kerry Rhodes is a former NFL safety who played in the league for nine years, first for the New York Jets and then for the Arizona Cardinals until 2013. Today, he is a musician, writer, director, producer, and actor who hasn't exactly shied away from talking about his own personal use of psychedelics and how they have changed his life for the better. That's one of the first things we discuss in this show. Carrie's experiences with psychedelic medicine, and how those initial experiences changed everything for him. How he looked at the world, how he showed up in it, and how he moved through it. Given the growing number of former athletes talking about psychedelic drugs, I also asked Carrie about the role these medicines could have for folks who have spent much of their lives living and working in professional sports leagues, where head injuries and repeated concussions are very much a part of the game. Then we shift into discussing the role of the supporter. What does it look like to support a family member, a friend, or a loved one through the Ibogaine experience? How can someone in that role best support someone who is about to undergo an Ibogaine treatment? And how important are preparation and integration? Carrie offers up some advice for those who may find themselves in a similar role. Supporting a loved one through a traumatic period in their lives can be incredibly challenging because it requires a level of surrender on the part of the supporter, too a sense of trust in the process, and a willingness to let go of control. Carrie's experience shows us how vital support from a loved one can be in taking the initial step to seek treatment, and how that support can allow a person to learn to trust the process, too. Carrie, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so grateful for the chance to speak with you. How are you doing today, and where am I speaking to you from? Man, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. I'm out in Los Angeles where it's it's a little bit colder than the norm. So uh, trying to get adjusted to that. And yeah, I mean, it's still a beautiful day, but a little chilly, chilly LA, but that's where I am. 
I hear that. Wonderful. Thank you again for taking the time. I mean, you have a really unique perspective on Ibogaine treatment in that you've been there in a support role. So I'm really excited to unpack that with you. But before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about your own experience with psychedelic drugs and psychedelic healing. You've been very open about your experiences. In fact, the first time I heard your story, it was on an episode of HBO's Real Sports with Brian Gumbel, where you talked about an experience you had with ayahuasca in Costa Rica. You were also featured in a documentary called The Medicine. How did those experiences change you? Well, those experiences catapulted me into a, just a new world. It gave me a new perspective, a new like profound vision for my life in general. You know, I was kind of meandering around after football and was going through some, some really dark times as far as just understanding what life really is. Because, I mean, once you're identified as, as something or something for so long, it kind of consumes you, takes over your life, and you think you are that thing or that situation. But like I said, meandering here in LA, trying to find a new life and trying to find a new purpose, it was very hard, very daunting at times. And I had a producer friend of mine that was going through some some similar things as far as their own personal life. And They found the medicine, found ayahuasca, and I remember seeing them once they came back from that first journey and just seeing the difference in who they were and how they identified with things and how they saw things, and it piqued my interest. But the initial thrust for me, minus the depression and the stuff that I was going through on my own, was the concussion stuff, the head trauma that I received when I played football. So seeing that ayahuasca kind of had this regenerative effect for the brain and helped the brain kind of fire off these new neurons to the spots of trauma, they kind of intrigued me that way. And so I got piqued by that. And so I went and did it and went to a situation that was unknown for me. And for me to be in any sense of unknown or not being in control was a big problem for me. And so being able to work through that, realize that control was an illusion anyway, and uh, really gain my sense of purpose and gain and hear the words from God that I needed to hear to reaffirm, confirm who I am on this place, on this earth. It was just life-changing. I mean, I knew I was a healer. I knew I was somebody that was supposed to spread the word and be a guiding light for others. And and that was my purpose. And so I'm living truly and fully in that. Hmm. It's been really incredible to witness that. I really love watching the way that you interact with people and, you know, on social media, you're very supportive when folks are talking about this kind of thing. So it's very cool to witness. One thing that that major sports leagues are pretty hesitant to talk about is something you just mentioned, traumatic brain injury, concussion. And then, you know, even on the mental side, something that I've talked about with other former athletes is something you also talked about is this idea of like losing part of your identity of, you know, leaving the sport and being completely isolated. What sort of potential do you think that psychedelics have for athletes, former athletes, people who are struggling with repeated concussions, but also might be dealing with this loss of identity when they move away from a sport that they might've been doing their entire life? Yeah. I mean, I think the latter of what you just said is the most important because we've been desensitized into a, a world that's such a toxic masculine world, right? We've been told that we're this person, we're great at this thing for so long. And so, you know, if you keep hearing something, you keep going through the experience of doing something over and over again, that's what you're going to identify as. It's just normal human nature. And then when you add in the dynamics of team sports and being in an environment where, I mean, they want you to be 
powerful in yourself, but it really comes down and boils down to the organization, to the team. And so you really lose your identity. Like you're trying to be this person that um, fits in, blends in into a shield, this big corporation, this team, this idea of who this team is and who we are as a unit. But along that way, along that journey, you just, there's no way, it's no way to keep your sense of identity intact. So I think number one with that, you get lost in the shuffle of that. But then once you're done with that, you're on your own. There's not a lot of services that helps to integrate these warriors, these soldiers into real life, everyday life and, and knowing how to be a good father, be a good husband, be, be a good son, be a good citizen. Like we don't know what that is. We just know how to act accordingly in this thing that we've done since we were five years old, right? And so to break that stigma, to break that identity is such a hard thing. And then you're just told to be normal now, like be, be a citizen now. You're, you're in everyday life and that's just, it's very hard. And then with the brain stuff and the trauma there, I mean, obviously they've done studies on that where, I mean, even people that haven't played in the NFL, if you played football or any contact sport to any degree for a certain amount of time of your life, you probably have CTE. So it's a very, very peculiar thing that definitely needs more, more recognition and more help and more modalities and more just more tools for us to be able to process that. Hmm. I commend you for speaking out on this. You know, it's been really interesting to see athletes and people of different backgrounds and professions and perhaps folks that I think, I mean, the reason people are really interested in it is maybe they haven't expected a professional athlete to talk about plant medicine, psychedelics in this kind of way. So yeah, it's been a really, really interesting conversation to to watch. Something that I've noticed in my own life is when I've had a profoundly healing experience with psychedelics, I want my family and friends to experience the same benefits. You were recently interviewed about your time at Beyond while you were there to support a family member. Tell me yeah. a little bit about this situation. How did you end up at Beyond? Well, yeah, just a young man that's in my life. I'm going to keep him anonymous right now, but really near and dear to my heart, someone that I really love. He's battling with opioid addiction, depression, no real place in this world. And you know, for somebody that young to have that experience, to believe that that's their destiny, it's just, it's very disheartening, right? And so mm-hmm. I think... The people that are involved with people or to a certain degree just engulfed with the responsibility they think is a responsibility of harboring someone that's going through that addiction, those demons, it gets hard on them. And I think in the process of taking yourself and removing yourself from that equation and saying this is solely for this person's benefit, this is to help them. I think if you can remove that and take out, I guess, the trigger words for most of us being aiding somebody or abetting somebody or giving somebody our time to do something for them, being selfless, like all these words that we add into helping somebody that's going through situations like that, it becomes a negative thing. And I think if you go into it with a positive mindset of we're doing this together as a team, like I love you, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to really do everything I can to get you to that point. If you really do that selflessly and understand that the bigger picture of that is for their personal healing, their personal growth, you'll find out along that journey that 
they're not doing it alone. The things that they're going to go through and the things that they're going to gain and the things they're going to come from after that and be better after that is a direct reflection and a mirroring image of what you're going to feel as well, because you're going to feel that. And I think I learned that early because I do a lot of work with children's hospital and I do a lot of stuff with the kids in those situations that are, I mean, most of these kids aren't going to make it, right? And so to see their smiles and to see how happy they are to have a visitor and just have a little Mm -hmm. time spent with somebody that they admire or they see as somebody that they can relate to. I know I left those sessions on a high myself. I left those sessions feeling better than I ever felt in my life because I was able to touch their life. And so just knowing that and being being in tune with that and really not even having time to reflect on it, just being present in that moment was everything for me. And so mm-hmm. I do that in my everyday life, but with this person in particular, it's just been, I, <laughs> I get emotional when I think about it because it's, it's saving my life as well. That's beautiful. What did you notice about the treatment? How did it affect them? You know, maybe not just the treatment, but this idea of being really held and feeling taken care of and eating delicious food and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's the first thing. I mean, I think that's the main thing, right? Because they feel like they're alone 100%. It doesn't matter how much you help. It doesn't matter how many people show up. They Mm -hmm. still feel alone. They feel like outcasts. They feel like they're not normal. And I think the big thing with that mindset is to let them know that nobody's normal. (laughs) we're all going through things. We're all going through our own ideas of not being, you know, normal, not being a good person some days, not being aligned some days. And so just to know that, to know that even going through those moments, there are people that are there. I think that's the biggest thing with beyond. I felt once, once we walked in, I felt like family. They were all committed. Tom, Talia, all those guys over there beyond were very welcoming, very reassuring especially to my little guy, but also to us, to let us know that he's going to be taken care of. And so that trust, that reassurance, that love, that dedication, all those things really matter. And uh, to see that, to feel that right away, it was amazing. But for him, when he came back, you could see things were starting to look up. Things were starting to click. He kind of got back to the young man that I, I knew prior. And you get to see those glimpses again, of who he can be and who he is and who he can aspire to be again. And uh, that was everything. I mean, he's, and it's still a struggle for him right now. He's still going through things to rewrite that ship. But to know that if he keeps chipping away at those layers and, and continue to take this thing serious, there is hope. And so I think that's the biggest thing we left with. It was hope. Hmm. Totally. It's definitely a process coming off of any substance, going through any kind of addiction. And I think this is a good place to bring up this concept that, you know, no psychedelic, I began included, is a magic bullet. You're not going to do a treatment and all of a sudden, you know, all the problems in your life are going to be healed. Uh, there's, there's a lot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> not, not, not quite the case. There's a lot more, more to it. Why was it important for you to go and be of support to your family member while they were going through the process of Ibogaine treatment? Well, it's everything. Again, you want them to to feel safe. They don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. Everything's a button. Everything's triggering. And I think one of the things I would hear from him is he doesn't want help anymore. And you know that's not the case. You know deep down we all want help. 
We all need help. So when you hear those those buzzwords, you know that all right, that's not him talking. That's that's the drug talking, right? And so getting them to to realize that no matter what, no matter what you go through, whatever you're going through, in this moment, the demon can be talking really loud right now, but know that with love and with light, we can combat that. And we're gonna show you that we're not gonna waver. And if you keep seeing that enough, keep seeing that support show up enough, then you're gonna believe it. It's life, it's being a human. The more you're told as a little kid that you're worthless, you're not worth it, you're gonna believe that, right? So the mm-hmm. same magic can happen with those positive reaffirming words as well. Absolutely. In that interview I referred to earlier, you talked about the importance of community and of healing together. This is also a piece that I think sometimes people forget how important it is to have people in your life that you can talk to about these experiences. I mean, something that is really common is someone goes on a psychedelic journey, maybe they go to another country and they come home and no one else in their life has had that experience. And so it can be hard to really make sense of it and integrate those insights as far as this community healing aspect. And you touched on this a little bit earlier. Did you get any healing out of being a supporter in this way? Oh, we, I mean, if you step up for someone and you do it for the right reasons, that comes back to you tenfold. And that's just, again, that's life, the circle of life. That input output that we we do every day, every day with our uh, technology, right? Like, you, you put in the jack for the headphones to hear. You receive messages. You hear things that are being processed on the other side of the world, right? And so to be able to input to something that gives you power, that gives you confirmation that you're doing the right thing, it's always powerful. So showing up for people has always been part of who I am in my DNA. But now I'm doing that with, with the idea of nothing in return. But when you get that something in return... It's so beautiful, right? So it's, it's about removing the expectations of what you want for that person and what you want back and just really being fully present in what the situation calls for at that time. And you'll see, even if it's not immediate, the results speaks for themselves. And that energy, that power, that love that you pour into something with no ill will, no intentions, no expectations will come back to you. And so I know that. And I know how important community is because Again, yeah, you go out and do this medicine in in Costa Rica where nobody's probably heard of it and they may not get it right away. But when they see you living your life authentically and happy and obviously there are going to be times where it's not. But when they see that, they feel that they know that they may not understand it right away, but they will because they will see how that person is responding to it. And they'll want that same feeling themselves. Hmm. Totally. This reminds me of something that you've talked a little bit about, this sort of notion of surrender. And I think that's something you've mentioned earlier, releasing this sense of control. I think that's something that a lot of us struggle with because this world, it's a wild place. And so to seek for something to grasp onto, I think it's so incredibly common. So you've talked about how your psychedelic experiences have sort of helped you overcome that neediness, that tendency to be in control. I suppose here that skill came in handy. You know, you had to surrender as much as your family member did to this sort of experience. What did it teach you about the surrender? Did you sort of receive any further insights on this sort of lesson that you've been talking about a lot? Oh, yeah, that's 100%. I mean, the surrender part of it's huge because, again, you do want them to go back and be healed and to, to come back and live their life in abundance and really get it right away. And that's just 
again, you go into it with that expectation, you're gonna you're gonna come away disappointed. And so, I mean, obviously, you still want the best for them. You want that to be the case, but again, you have to let the medicine do its job, and you got to let that person do their job as well. And so, surrender is 100% part of it. It's hard when you're directly affected by it. Obviously, you're in direct contact with that loved one or yourself all the time, right? And you can get discouraged, you can get disappointed, you can get all those things. Those things are okay too. Those things are real. Those are real feelings. Those are things that you can't exclude from the journey. And I think a lot of times you want, like I said, the happy ending. You want the result to be immediate, but it's going to be a journey. And so if you surrender to that idea and know that it is going to be a journey, then, you know, the small incremental wins that you see daily, minute by minute, in their word choice and their and they're coming back and working out and being involved and trying to better themselves. Those are wins. And so you just you have to shift the mentality of this, what you said earlier, this magic bullet, this magic potion to come in and save the day. But really, the magic potion has already started and already worked, but the person still has to take those steps and apply it to their lives. Mm-hmm. So when we look at supporting someone in this kind of role, some people struggle with this concept of, am I enabling this person by helping them? And help is obviously subjective, but is that something you've struggled with a little bit in this situation? Yeah, a little bit. So yeah, enabling is a, is a layered word, but I think support can be, can be hard. It can be (laughs) enabling as well. There's a thin line. I think there's when you know that you're not perfect as an individual and you know that, again, certain situations you would want to be handled a certain way doesn't mean they need it to be that way. And so you have to kind of remove yourself from the thing. Like you have to literally sit there with that person, understand them and know who they are and know where they're coming from to be able to press those buttons to Mm -hmm. get them to feel safe to feel like they need to go out and do the things that they're doing and continue to do that. So there's a line. I mean, especially when you're really close to someone, the more and more you offer advice and it doesn't seem like it's working for them, they may tune you out. They may start to resent you. They may start to to have negative feelings toward you. So you have to understand that the thing that you're saying may be triggering somebody. It doesn't mean that you're triggering them yourself because whatever response they have from that situation, that's their own experience. That's what they no, they're usually going on autopilot, right, when that stuff happens. So to be able to know that, which I do through my own work and my own journey, I'm able to come into those spots with a little bit better of a, a landing, a softer landing, because I know it's not personal. And I know that there's something mm-hmm. else that is hindering that that whole setting anyway. So, yes, you have to be able to understand that you have to do mm-hmm. what's right for that moment. Absolutely. You know, what you're speaking to brings up this idea of really strong self-awareness and also removing yourself completely from the situation. That's something I think can be challenging to do because we're human. We love this person. We want to help them and we want them to feel better. That's something I spoke about recently with the last guest on this podcast about how we're so quick sometimes when someone is experiencing suffering to jump in and try and change how they're feeling rather than really hearing them out and listening to what might be causing that. So, yeah, really taking the time to do that, that's hard work. It's hard work. So It really is. It's a, it's a commitment. But it's just like anything else. I mean, life is a commitment. Life's a journey. We have peaks and valleys every day, right? And so 
mm-hmm. somebody that's having those peaks and valleys with some other negative connotation on top of it, just imagine how they're feeling and what they're going through. And so it's hard. You just got to take your time as well, because there are times when you're, you're not going to be able to show up all the time. And that's fine, too. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the part of it. We put so much pressure on ourselves to get the results, but the results will come. You know, so yeah. just really taking your time. Totally, totally. What is some advice you might offer to someone who finds themselves in the role that you're in? Perhaps they're trying to support a family member through some sort of addiction. Maybe they're seeking out Ibogaine treatment or something similar. What would you offer them? I would say have an open mind. This Western world has told us a lot of times to do certain things, which in turn keep us in an addictive state anyway. And so being able to step outside of that and broaden your horizons and broaden your eyes to see different ways, broaden your heart to feel different ways and to really commit to bettering yourself and not just relying on the things that are easy, the things that our parents did before us or their parents did before them that worked but or didn't work. Like really giving yourself the ability to step outside of all of those constructs and see and feel. Like we have this amazing gift, all of us, of intuition. And I think it's been so numbed down and been so desensitized throughout the years because of other people's experiences, not ours. And so really step into your own experiences, step into your own power and form your own conclusions. That's the beautiful part about life, right? Like being able to experience all the things and and know what's good and know what's bad for yourself and not having somebody else have to tell you. And I think that's the biggest thing for me, like really breaking free of those chains that have been passed down generationally and start my own. Totally. Starting fresh, planting new seeds. I can definitely relate to that as well from a familiar perspective, you know, wanting it to stop with you. We talked earlier about this idea that the psychedelic, the medicine experience is really just one part of the healing process and really the healing process never ends. What are some tools that you are using to sort of help integrate this experience, perhaps that your family member might be leaning on? Are there things that you are doing together to help process this for both of you? Yeah, yeah. I I keep, there's a structure about my mornings, about most of my days where I do certain things every day. I mean, the things I do every day, obviously I wake up, I do a a gratitude journal. As soon as I wake up, I do a gratitude meditation. As soon as I wake up, I actually look in the mirror every day to remind myself who I am. And also I remind myself what I want to accomplish that day. So I have many wins or many goals that I set throughout the day that I can achieve to keep that energy going towards where I want it to go. I always have a, a midday, midday meditation to center myself against, especially when I'm out in the world, picking up so many different energies and so many different ideas and so many different ideologies from other people. I have to make sure I come back to my center, back to myself every day, meditate at night. But, you know, in the morning, that routine is very gratitude journal, gratitude meditation, mirror, gratitude session, workout, get out, get some fresh air. Just those type of things are every day. Those things are a must for me. And I think, again, if you just keep adding those tools, keep adding stokes to the fire of, that positive life that you want to live, it'd be enough fuel to get you through. And I think obviously when you're being pulled with something like a drug or opioid or something like that, that's blocking that part of getting that natural high, that feel good that comes from within, that causes the challenge. But if you're able to understand that 
that little second of two hours or whatever you're going to get reprieve from that drug. And then you're going to feel like hell the rest of the time. It doesn't really add up. So being able to write that down and, you know, exactly what you're feeling in those moments of the hell experience, like write that down too. Like if you're able to see that and make it a tangible thing, then I think those ideas can change. Mm, Absolutely. Hmm. So grateful to be having this conversation because I know that so many people are, yeah, in this position and really wondering, like, how do I help someone who's in this really dire situation? I want to ask a little bit about what you have been up to. I know that you've been in documentaries and things about your plant medicine experience. You're an actor. You're a musician. Tell our audience a little bit about things that are going on in your life right now, Karen. Yeah, I'm going to be an advocate for this for forever. I mean, I think there's obviously a broader audience that we can reach here. And I think the world is being more accepting to these ideas. I saw Aaron Rodgers recently talk about it, even though he's not the most well-liked at the moment. I think having having people in that position be able to be able to talk about it and share those experiences puts it on a, a grander scale. So I'll definitely be in the forefront there. There's other ideas that I'm wrestling with with it. Me and Tom, we were talking about doing a book about some of this stuff and There's things on the horizon for sure, book there. But for me personally, I mean, acting and producing and writing and music and I I do a lot. And I think the biggest thing with all of that stuff that I do is that's changed. I don't just act to act anymore. I don't say yes to things that I used to, that I would have said yes to in the past. I'm more about impacting people in, in a positive way. And so I mean, there are deep stories to be told that I could still be interested in, which I still do. I still audition. I still do those things, but it has to make sense to me now. So I have a greater awareness around what I'm doing in that art form because words and and the art and the film and stuff that we watch is so powerful. So it's really affected the stuff that I put out and put my name on. And even with my EP now, it's called Protected Endangered, and it's very personal. It's deeply moving to me when I hear it. And then to perform it Saturday and to hear people singing along to it. I'm like, what, what is going on? What is it, the that's power, amazing. The power, the power in the room was just so infectious. And mm-hmm. I think about that in, in such a, a glowing, positive way, but also with the knowing that the music that isn't that positive or reaffirming is the stuff that gets played all the time or has the greater audience. So just trying to extend that reach to more people. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That must have been an incredible feeling. Wow. Probably a little bit different than being in like a stadium full of (laughs) NFL fans. You mentioned that, you know, you're saying yes only to the things that really speak to you. That was probably the biggest takeaway of my own experience with, with I began coming home. I was like, no, like anything that is even just like a little no, like it's not happening. <laughs> and so that that's really powerful to be able to align yourself with things in that way and feel confident in like saying no to the things that, you know, might even seem cool and appealing, but you know, they're not for you. So really interesting, the, the insights and the lessons that we can get from plant medicine. Yeah. Before we jump off, I mean, it's been so great to chat with you about all these things. I really appreciate your insights, the perspective that you have on being a supporter in this position. Do you have any final thoughts, perhaps, on Ibogaine, on being the supporter's role? Yeah, anything at all. I'd just like to open it up. Yeah, I just think, um, again, there's 
such a big world out there and we put ourselves in a box and we limit ourselves and we limit the people we love as well because we're so enamored with our little bubble of life and our little circle of life. But there are so many people out there that need to be touched, including ourselves. And if we open ourselves up enough to be aware of that and let God and let these modalities lead the way, because they're so much smarter than we are and they have so much more knowledge than we do in this body as a human. If we allow that stuff to responsibly lead the way, then we can have a new world, we can have a new society. And I think that's not too much to ask for. It's not too big of a dream to dream. Uh, and so I think that would be my closing words. Be available, show hmm. up, do your work. Hmm. And in turn, and in, and in turn, the work will be done for you. So. So beautiful. Yeah. That discipline of showing up and doing the work is so, so key. Carrie, thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, for getting personal with me on the show. Yeah. I look forward to seeing what you do in the future and I wish you all the best with your family and just carrying the torch. It's pretty, it's, it's, it's wonderful. I'm sending you love back. This is beautiful. So (laughs) thank you. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Ibogaine Uncovered. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe on Spotify and Apple, leave a review, or share it with your friends. This podcast is brought to you by Beyond and produced by Eamon Armstrong, mixed by Trevor Coulter, and edited by Ariel Villafane. Beyond is the world's premier network of medically-based Ibogaine treatment facilities for addiction, depression, anxiety, and PTSD. Beyond's mission is to help people end chemical and behavioral dependency and to end the suicide epidemic with psychotherapeutic treatment and psychedelic plant medicine innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It does not constitute medical advice and does not necessarily reflect Beyond's views on mental health treatment or personal development. For inquiries and further information, please visit beyondibogaine.com and make an inquiry using the web form or email beyond at hello at beyondibegain.com.